in your Bible, Judges chapter 14, 4 verses <clears throat> in that chapter, verse 8 and 9, <clears throat> and then skipping and reading verse 18 and 19. Verse 8, and after a time he returned to take her. That is, this woman whom Samson had chosen, pleaded to the father for her, and was granted her. He returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating. And came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Verse 18, And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, If ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. Turn with me again, please, in your hymn book. Stand with me. Sing together number 293. We sing the Savior's love who pitied wretched man, delighting in the thought of peace their time and worlds began. We see its smiling means for shining at his birth and traced its luster day by day while he sojourned on earth. But in his closing hour, how infinite is grace when bowed beneath the curse he died to save the chosen race. Ten thousand thousand songs with high seraphic flame 
As you know, over the past two Lord's Days, I have been trying to lay before your heart some of the blessed typology of Christ found in this highly controversial judge in Israel, Samson. I would just remind you again that while the man that is in his humanity is a terrible example and never intended to be a pattern for our lives or conduct, yet in his capacity, in his function as a God-appointed judge, as an instrument in God's service, he is an altogether glorious type. A type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that capacity, he is a rich mine of gospel treasures. This we have seen to some extent already. And not to tax your patience, but just to provide a continuity in our thoughts this morning, I will remind you that we have already seen his typological significance in that, like our Lord Jesus Christ, number one, his coming was predetermined and announced long beforehand. And that that arrival was specifically purposed to be for Israel's deliverance, for the deliverance of God's people. And in that, in that, he is altogether a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you secondly. In that first message. That he went down. <laughs> oh the glory and the wonder of it. He went down. To fetch a woman. A daughter. Of the Philistines. To make her. His own. <laughs> oh, what a glorious type is this. How I would love to dwell several messages on this glorious truth. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. Emmanuel, God with us. Fashioned 
like unto a man. God come down from glory. What a type. Samson went down to fetch himself a bride. And that from the daughters of the Philistines. But then thirdly in that message I shared with you that he was a type of our Lord Jesus in that he acted under his Father's authority and with his secured ordination. Nothing was done but what the Father would order. What a type. What a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the next message, I gave you number four. He made ready a feast. In honor of her consummation with him. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful truth. What a beautiful reality. Yet lay before us as we await that blessed feast. But even now we partake. We partake of morsels of this blessed table spread. When we partake of this blessed gospel. Feast, a gospel feast. And in that message, I pointed out also as a sidelight that the Father went down. <laughs> and thus I emphasized the oneness between the Father and the Son. Samson went down, but the scripture tells us here the Father went down for the feast. And then finally in last week's message we saw number five that his nuptial design resulted in his destroying the line and making honey in the very carcass of death. Whoa, hallelujah. I received this week two or more texts from some of you who were still feasting in that blessed truth, still sucking honey from this rock. His nuptial design, hallelujah, his nuptial design resulted in his destroying the life. Making honey from the very carcass of death. Whoa, what a type. What a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now this morning, if I may continue, I confess this entire process of drawing out these types has taken far longer already than I ever intended. But again this morning, if I may, for just a little bit, I'd like to look again at this blessed Old Testament shadow and draw out the sweetness remaining for us in this glorious prefigure of Christ, this man, Samson. 
I give to you number six in this typology. I'd like for us to see that he defiled himself to take the spoil. He defiled himself to take the spoil. Verse 8, and after a time he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion and he took thereof in his hands and went on eating. He came to his father and mother and gave them and they did eat. Now let me say to you, our God has made known from the very beginning of time that He is holy. And He has made known to man in all the ages that have rolled that He cannot even look on sin. The prophet Habakkuk in chapter 1 and verse 13 told us, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. And he has told us that he would have men in Leviticus 10 verse 8 through 11, Leviticus tells us the will of our God is to put a difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. We're in a generation that has left behind Christian convictions. We're in a generation that has so amalgamated with the world that there's no difference anymore. My wife and I were talking one day this week about the whole issue of casualness. Everyone wants to be comfortable and casual in the worship of God and even at funerals and everywhere and in everything and it's considered taboo among our society, even among those professing Christians in large churches. It's taboo for anybody to be different. But God said, put a difference. Put a difference between holy and unholy, clean and unclean. Put a difference. God is holy. And all of this, all of this, Leviticus, all of this, Samson surely knew. And if those things were to be so for every citizen in Zion, surely it was profoundly to be so for one whose whole life was to be a perpetual Nazarite unto God. Before he was ever born, God had declared his right to him in the Nazarite vow. 
And we read in Leviticus chapter 22 these words. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel and that they profane not my holy name in those things which they hallowed unto me. I am the Lord. Say unto them, Whosoever he be of all your seed among your generations that goeth unto the holy things which the children of Israel hallow unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, that soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. What man soever of the seed of Aaron is a leper or hath a running issue, he, he shall not eat of the holy things until he be clean. And whoso, oh, whoso toucheth anything that is unclean by the dead or a man whose seed goeth from him or whosoever toucheth any creeping thing whereby he may be made unclean or a man of whom he may make uncleanness, whatsoever the uncleanness he hath. The soul which hath touched any such shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. When the sun is down, he shall be clean and shall afterwards eat of the holy things because it is his food. The soul, verse 6 again, which hath touched any such shall be unclean. Samson had to know that. Samson had to know that. And so he comes here in our text to the very carcass of death. God had said, those whom I have laid upon my hand, upon them, and especially in this Nazarite vow, they are not to touch the general Israelite, was not to touch death at all, and especially a Nazarite. Samson had to know that. Here he comes in our text to the very carcass of death. And the Bible tells us in that blessed verse, in that blessed verse 9, he took thereof with his own hands. He touched the carcass of death with his own hands. And took thereof in his hands and took from that carcass honey. Oh, can I just say, from the defiled to the delightful, he took honey by allowing himself to touch death. Oh, this, this, this is the message of the cross of Calvary. This is the message of our ordinance that we will partake of, God willing, in the next service. This is the gospel that's to be heralded to every land, the scripture said, that the hymn writer said. Christ purposed to allow himself, the spotless, sinless soul of the Lamb of God, to be defiled by death itself. That rivers of honey and salvation might flow to others. Hallelujah. 
father and mother is eating from it in the very same verse. <laughs> I said Christ purposed to allow his own spotless, sinless soul to be defiled by death itself. That rivers of honey and salvation might flow down to others. Oh, how well did the Hebrew writer set it all before us when he wrote in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for everyone. He should taste death. Verse 10, For it became him for whom all are all things and by whom are all things to bring many sons unto glory, to make perfect, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Oh, can I just say to you this morning, Samson, like our Lord Jesus Christ, but all oh, beyond Samson, beyond Samson, our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, it was not just enough that he must touch death with his own hands. And that would be enough according to the law of God to defile him and banish him from the presence of God. But it was not enough that our Lord Jesus Christ should touch it with his own hands, but rather that he would himself be made sin for us. All oh, the blessed words of Second Corinthians chapter 5. He was made sin for us. Made sin for us. Death. Not only was he touched, did he touch it with his own hands. He bore it in his own body. He was made sin. Oh, Paul. Paul gives the Colossian church a full theological testimony of it all when he writes in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church, who's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Listen now, verse 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, hallelujah, they were reconciled. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Oh, he not only touched death, touched death, he took death on himself and became sin. Oh, this blessed Samson of ours. No wonder regenerated poets of all ages have penned words like these. Isaac Watts sometime around 1740 penned these words. The true Messiah now appears. The types Blessed Samson. Blessed Samson. Isaac Watts said the true Messiah now appears. The types are all withdrawn. So fly the shadows and the stars before the rising dawn. Aaron must lay his robes away, his miter and his vest, when Christ the Lord comes down to be the offering and the priest. He took our mortal flesh at once to show the wonders of his love for us. He paid his life alone and prays for us above. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> With his own hands. He contaminated himself to get the honey for others. No wonder Thomas Kelly sometimes in the sometime in the eighteen fifties penned those words we love so well to sing. Stricken, smitten and afflicted, lo he dies upon the tree. Tis the Christ my man rejected. Yes, believers, yes, tis he. Many hands conspired to wound him. None would interpose to save, but the heaviest stroke that found him was the stroke that justice gave when he was made sin. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See, who bears this awful load? Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of Oh, no wonder Johann Hermann 
Sometime around 1640 penned these words. Oh, holy Jesus, who hast thou offended that man to judge thee hath in hate pretended? By foes derided, by thine own rejected, oh, most afflicted. Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus hath undone thee. T'was I, Lord Jesus, I it was denied thee. I crucified thee. Lo, the good shepherd for the sheep is offered. The slave hath sinned and the son hath suffered. For man's atonement, while he nothing heedeth, God interceded. For me, kind Jesus, was thine incarnation, thy mortal sorrow and thy life's oblation, thy death of anguish and thy bitter passion for my salvation. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I said many have been the poets that have put their hand to paper to try to express this truth with his own hands. He took the honey from the carcass. Oh, W.J. Stiles wrote, The hour has come. Speaking of his death upon the cross, W.J. Stiles said, The hour has come and God demands at the most holy surety's hands the debt his people owe. Their crimes upon their Lord are laid. The sinless Savior's sin is made. And he was filled with woe. Our kinsman, he of woman born, for that dear form so marred and torn is human like our own. And thus in our place he can obey and our vast debt to justice pay and for our sins atone. How'd he do it? He touched death? No, no, no. More than touch death, he became death. He partook of death. He became sin for us. Oh, only by this contamination of the guiltless servant can honey flow in the trough where the volcanic fire of God's wrath has flowed. Only by this, only by this, only by this contamination of the guiltless servant. Dr. Lee, in one of his messages, Dr. R.G. Lee, quoting Talmadge concerning this payment for sin, Talmadge said this, The blood must be poured from royal veins. Nazarite. The blood must be poured from royal veins. But where is the king? 
said, tell me, I see many thrones and a great many occupants throughout history, yet none seem to be coming down to the rescue. But after a while, the clock in Bethlehem strikes twelve. And the silver pendulum of a star swings across the sky. And I see the king of heaven rising up. And he descends. And he steps down from star to star. From cloud to cloud. Lower and lower. Until he touches the sheep covered hill. And then on another hill. Like a skull. Bearing his cross with him. And there at the sharp stroke of persecution, a real, a red and holy rushes down. And we who could not be redeemed by money are redeemed by precious and imperial spotless blood. And Dr. Lee says the blood in drops falling like red rain from the cross was atoning blood. The blood in reels pouring down like red wine from the crevices of a wine press was cleansing blood. The blood spreading in crimson pools beneath the cross is sanctifying blood. The blood splashing like shafts of red sunlight in the face of his enemies is saving blood. And that blood is the price heaven paid to buy us who had sold ourselves for naught. Oh, he says, look yonder on the cross with earth and hell and heaven as witnesses in agonies unknown. He bleeds his life away. In terrible throes he exhausts his soul as his soul is made an offering for sin. And while the sun in the heavens refuses to look on that dreadful scene, the Son of God bleeds from his palms and from his feet where the nails went, from his brow where the thorns went, from his side where the savage spear went. This is the shedding of blood, the awful shedding of blood, the terrible pouring out of blood without which for you, for me, for the sad human race, there could be no redemption. What are you saying? I'm trying to tell you this morning with his own hands. With his own hands. He took of death and contaminated his own soul to fetch out my honey. Hallelujah. My name was Paul Cornett. I'd be running around the building. I'd be swinging from the chandelier if we had any. <laughs> Contaminating his own soul. Oh, this is the gospel. This is the gospel message. This is the gospel message. Hallelujah to the Lamb. He was contaminated to extract the honey for me. Blessed Samson. <laughs> With his hand. 
but I fear I digress somewhat. I can't help it. I confess that this is the theme of the gospel that supremely possesses my soul's attention, and I never tire to tell it again. This is the blessed gospel. I never tire to tell it again. She played. I didn't ask her to. She was playing as we came in this morning on a hill far away. Stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross. Where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners and slain. The writer said, oh, I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I'll cling to the old rugged cross exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, in that old rugged cross stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. <laughs> for t'was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died. To pardon and sanctify me with his own hand. He touched death and contaminated his soul. The sun shut out its light to not look on the scene. And the father laid on him in that darkness my sin. Oh, no wonder he sang. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trope is at last I lay down. I will claim to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday. For a crown. He contaminated himself. But I'll give you one quickly more. Just very quickly. I'll give you this morning just one other point of typology seen in Samson since I'm making so little progress. Number seven. I would have you to see in the typology of Samson in the verses that we read this morning, 18 and 19, that he exercised revenge on the enemies of his righteous honor. He exercised revenge on the enemies of his righteous honor. Verse 18, And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, If ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon and slew thirty men of them and took their These had abused his kindness. You hear me? 
they had abused his kindness. He had spread a feast. And they were invited. He, these had abused his kindness. They had violated the sacredness of his nuptial intentions. He said, if you had not plowed with my heifer. Hmm. They violated the sacredness of his nuptial intentions. They had used treachery and manipulation and deception in attempting to defraud him of that which was his by right. They had agreed to give him sheets and garments. If they couldn't work it out, and they couldn't work it out. They didn't work it out. They got the answer by deception and by fraud and thus violated his right and now they must pay. Surely this typology needs little prompting from me to leap from the pages of this sacred scripture up into your hearts this morning. Men of all ages have sought to defraud our Lord of his righteous salvation by schemes and mechanisms of their own devising. They would, if they could, plow with his effort to defraud him. They have sought to avoid the hopelessness of their own resources. They couldn't solve the riddle. But men have sought to avoid the hopelessness of their own resources. And in the words of John 10 and verse 1, climb up some other way. They have thought to use the deception talked about in 1 Corinthians 11.4. They have sought to use the deception of another gospel, which is not another. If by any means they may beguile men, that text tells us, and thus corrupt the simplicity that's in Christ. Oh, but it will not do. It will not do. In the end, they are, in the words of Matthew 23, 27, in the end, they are nothing more than white sepulchers full of dead men's bones. And God will punish them eternally. Jude 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Baal for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Cory. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you feeding themselves without fear 
clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. It will not do. They must be punished. Oh, our Samson. Our Samson. Will not be defiled. Without perfect justice. Being served in the end. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. God spared not the angels that sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodliness and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in ashes, condemned them in their over, with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live godly. And delivered Blessed Lot, them that walk after the flesh, a lust of uncleanness, and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-will. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. All these are brute beasts, he calls them. In verse 12, they understand not. They shall utterly perish in their own corruption. And on and on he goes describing them. I won't take the time because I'm already too late. But if you'll read in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15, you'll find out that it will not do to defraud our Samson of that glory which is his right. To defraud him it will not do. There in Revelation 20 is that scene of the great white throne and every man will stand. It will not do. It will not do. It will not do. Samson verses 18 and 19. He routed them out, ferreted them out. Their violation of his sacred right and his nuptial intentions. He punished them. Oh, sinner this morning, whatever you may think. Whatever you think, you've gotten away with it. You're going to get out of it somehow, someway. I'll never forget the words. My wife, uncle, at the funeral of her own father. He couldn't get out of the vehicle. His health wouldn't allow him. He sat in the truck by the graveside and listened to the service. After the service, I walked over, leaned against the window and spoke with him about his own soul. I said, Uncle Henry, God's been good to you. He said, I know that. 
I said, what are you going to say when you see him? He said, I'll take my chances with that. Hmm. You may think, sinner, that you'll take your chances in his words, but it will not do. This Samson will judge everyone that has defrauded him of his glory. He judged Samson. God willing, we'll try again next week to take up this thing. Turn with me. Stand with me, please. Hymn number 1134. Stand and sing 1134. He reigns. The Lord the Savior reigns. Sing to His name in lofty strain. Let all the earth in song rejoice. And in His praise exalt their voice. Sing to his name in lofty strains. Let all the earth in songs rejoice and in his praise exalt their voice. Deep are his counsels and unknown. But grace and truth support his throne. Though gloomy clouds his way surround, justice is there, eternal ground. In robes of judgment, lo, he comes. Shakes the wider and cleaves the tombs before him devouring fire. The mountains melt, the seas retire. His enemies with sore dismay. Fly from the sight and shun the day. Then lift your hands, ye saints on high, and sing for your redemption. Thank you.